letter to the Colossians. It's truly one of my favorites, and I, it's a delight to be able to preach from it. It's, it's shorter, compressed. It's, it's a powerful vitamin, if you will. It gives us a vision of the church. It gives us what it looks like to be in gospel ministry together. And it is wonderfully encouraging for us at this season of our church's life. So we continue on in transitioning from a long faithful ministry into a new one that is, is going to grow and bud, and we'll see what the Lord does together in these years ahead. And so Colossians really becomes crucially important for us. If you haven't yet, grab your Bibles and turn to Paul's letter to the Colossians. We're in chapter 2, and we're going to consider verses 6 and 7 this morning. Now, I, I've been making promises that we'd pick up the pace, and here we are looking at just two verses. But as soon as we read them, you'll see that, this is, that these verses are, 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 are packed. They're, they're filled with so much for us this morning. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Let's pray. God, as we come to your word, we do need your help and grace and power and spirit to be at work in us, and, and, and one, the preaching of it, and two, the hearing of it, receiving of it, that we believe you, believe your truth, your word here with, for us this morning, and that it would have a profound impact on our lives, whether that profound impact is small or significant, that it would be yet an example and evidence of your grace at work within us, even if it is incremental, it is of your grace. And so help us to see that and know that and believe it and trust it. So be with us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. I knew a guy who walked, or I guess you could say hiked, the Appalachian Trail, the entirety of it, with his son from Georgia to Maine. He started when his son was five, five years old. And taking a couple of weeks off every summer, they went about the hike and they would pick up where they left off the previous summer. He was in his late 50s, and his son was in his 20s when they finally completed the journey. Little by little, year after year, planning, learning, adjusting, studying, walking, climbing, hiking, and they saw it all. All the weather, all the obstacles, all sorts of animals and all kinds of close calls. And it was such a sense of joy and gratitude and celebration when they finished. A, a journey that would be with them the rest of their lives. It's also a, a wonderful picture of what we are called to in Christ. We're called to a very long walk a very long hike, a very long journey, little by little, year by year, planning and learning, adjusting and studying and walking and climbing and hiking in the faith. Paul's main instruction for us this morning, his main command, his main imperative is that we would go on that walk, that we would start out on that together, that we would take it step by step, little by little, Onward, upward, together in Christ. As you're looking at those two verses, there's 
there are many verbs going on in there, but there's one main one, and that is walk in Him. We'll focus in on that word walk here, but just to say it now, walk means a manner of living. It is your lifestyle. It's how you go about living out your life. And so are you going to go living out your life in a manner that flourishes and gives life, or are you going to be stagnant and and calloused and hardened? How will you go about living out your life? And when we see that our life is in Christ and it is to be lived out, there and there alone will we find a life that flourishes in Christ. We are called to have a manner of living that conforms to Christ, that is shaped to Christ. And in so doing, you and I, we In our souls, our hearts, our minds, our lives, our very lives, no matter our circumstances, can flourish in Christ. And that's our hope this morning, as we consider these two verses for us, as we're moving through this letter, that we would see that flourishing in Christ means our walk is filled with a number of key things. This this journey that we are on together would be filled with a number of key elements to them. The first one being that our walk is consistent with grace. That the walk that you and I live and walk out and live out in Christ is one that is consistent with grace, consistent with what we have received. Secondly, flourishing in Christ means our walk is committed to Christ. Now that might seem obvious, but we need to obviously state it. That the life that we have is one that is then committed to Christ. If we're going to walk in Him, we need to know Him. We need to know about Him. We need to know His character and His worth. And we need to follow after Him. We need to be committed to Him. And then thirdly, flourishing in Christ means our walk is celebrating God's faithfulness. It is not a walk to death. And that's life. It is a walk of daily deaths that give life to celebrating God's faithfulness. This is what we have in Christ. This is what we get to walk in and journey in little by little, year after year, together. So let's consider that together. This morning, flourishing in Christ means our walk is consistent with grace. So we need to first establish a little more firmly what it means to walk. Two sort of dynamics at play simultaneously. First is that it is a manner of living. It is how you order out your life. It is a lifestyle. It is the values and priorities in action as we follow Christ. So it's having values and priorities that are sort of adhered to, velcroed to Christ, shaped by Christ, and then then it then shapes your life. So you have values that are Christ-centered, and that va- those values then inform how you live and you go about living. We've already seen walk in Colossians, Colossians 1.10. He says, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. So a sense of what this walk looks like is that it's, in, it's evident in how we live, We're living in a way that is seeking to make much of Jesus and to live for his glory. You hear that? That that part of our walk is that we're living to make much of Jesus. 
and to bring him glory. Because our values are shaped to Jesus being worth the thing that sets the course of our lives. So there we are. We're fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit. It, it's, it becomes evident in our lives. There's a system that our culture holds up that's very individualistic, meaning that you are the center of the world, the center of the cosmos. And with that is a pluralism, meaning because you're the center of the world, you can go find whatever you need for you, and as long as that doesn't infringe upon me, we're good. Now, some of our younger folks, they live this in a much more frontline kind of way than some of our older folks. Their every single waking moment is a constant onslaught of that very line of thinking. When they're at school, when they're watching their shows, their movies, listening to their music, all of it. It's individualistic. You're the center of the world. And you can cling to whatever you want to cling as long as it doesn't mess up mine. That is deadening to the soul soul is not going to flourish and it's going to war against following christ and so our younger faces and lives that are in this room they need older ones to come alongside them to care for them to show them that they they are valued they're important and that they're in that importance that you walk alongside them pointing them to jesus as worthy of their lives in the manner of living so that they would Live in a way that says Christ is worth it. It's worth it. And they bear fruit in every good work. And they increase in knowing how awesome he is. It's evident in how we live. And it's evident in who we know. It's, it's, it shows up in, in, in how we live and who we know. Because it's, it's our lives getting fit to the one we belong to. Getting shaped to the one that we belong to. That our lives are being pressed into the mold of Christ. More and more and more. Each day. Each incremental day. More of our life getting pressed into the mold of Christ. That our manner of living would reflect more and more of Jesus. So that's one aspect of what Paul says when he uses this metaphor walk to describe your life in Christ. Is that your manner of living? But it's, it's also your perspective. Your perspective for life. It's how you look at life also. Walk, you see, conveys a long haul journey. A walk doesn't imply something that's short, fast, quick, immediate. Paul's goal, as we've already considered in Colossians chapter 1, is to present people mature in Christ, to present people mature in Jesus. And the aim of that greater Christ-likeness in our hearts, and therefore our lives, will take a lifetime. It will take a lifetime. Younger faces that are in this room, look around you, you see older ones. They've been following the Lord a lot longer than you've been breathing air. And just as I admonish them and encourage them to be an encouragement to you, so do I say to you, younger faces, listen carefully to them. They've gone over all the ravines and cliffs 
They've seen all the obstacles and challenges, and they know that God is good and God is faithful. You need to hear that from them. You need to see that in their lives. You need to see a long-haul perspective with life. You see, we live in a, a world that is much more bent to a sprint than it is to a walk. Or maybe we can jump metaphors and word pictures here for a moment. We live in a streaming kind of world, right? We want our streaming services to be quick and immediate. We don't want to wait. We want to binge, right? We don't, you know, it's weird to watch a sporting event and not use DVR because there are these strange things called commercials, That used to be normal, right? That's when you got up and, I don't know, did stuff. But now we are cutting it all out. We're trying to speed everything up. We want it and we want it fast. We want it immediate. We want it on demand and I'm demanding it. Well, that's very antithetical to what the Bible tells us about the life that we have in Christ. Our cultural pace is inherently antithetical to what Paul says when he says, walk in him. There's no streaming sanctification. There's no streaming growing up in Christ. You can't binge holiness. It takes time. It works through slowly. You learn. You you can't speed that up. So we need to see that walking is the way we look at life and we understand it's a long haul. There's a day-to-day dynamic that growth is slower and that's okay. And maybe somebody in here needs to hear that. Your growth in Christ will most likely be spent and experienced in a very slow way. And that's okay. In fact, That's kind of the deal. Yeah, there might be seasons when it seems like God is powerfully convicting us of something in our hearts. Like we've been going down a wrong way. We've been embracing the wrong kinds of things. We're living after the wrong kind of ideal. And God does a swift and convicting work in us to lead us away from that because he has our good in in mind. He doesn't want us going after things that are junk food or poison. He wants us to, to feast on the good things of his grace and the gospel. So he leads us away from those. And those moments can be, they can be intense and they can be real and they can be sudden. And those are awesome. What a kindness of God to do that. But guess what? What a kindness of God to work in you slowly over the course of your long life. What a kindness of God to be with you incrementally, day by day, the ins and the outs, the ups and the downs. What a kindness of God that he says to us through his word, I will never leave you nor forsake you, even if your life is utterly boring. What a kindness. So, we're not even into the point really, but (laughs) we got to talk about walk first. You feel these two verses? That you would look at life and live it out in a way that says Christ is worth it for the long haul and for the daily grind. He's worth it. 
And I want to live after him, shaped to him, following him, knowing him. So, how you look at life and how you live it out. Walk. Huge word for Paul. You'll find it in some of his other letters. It's important. It's significant. It's theologically rich, but practically relevant. We would look at and live out our lives in a manner that says Christ is worth it. And that we'd see more and more of our life shaped to him. So, now, we can say, what does that mean? Well, it has to be consistent. Consistent with grace. Consistent with the in the same manner. So, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Just as you received him. How did they receive him? So, part of our walk's shape is going to be consistent with how we received him. So how did the Colossians and all believers receive him? By grace, through faith, in Christ, who's proclaimed. That's how we received him. By grace, through faith, in Christ, who is proclaimed, declared, preached, taught, shared, spoken of, sung about, prayed prayed about like that's how we receive him he is the center he is the main thing he is the thing that we hear that by god's grace we receive through faith so what our walking needs to remain consistent with a by grace through faith in christ way of receiving him if you look at the beginning at the end of the letter paul starts and ends with grace and grace runs through the sentences and the structure and the themes and the teaching that he he unpacks in these four chapters you see god has brought about something radically amazing and wholly undeserved that is the gospel look back at verses five and six in chapter one five and six in chapter one centers our thoughts on this gospel because of the hope that you have laid up for you in heaven of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you. It's important. We didn't go to it. It came to us. The nature of grace comes to us. As indeed to the whole world, it's bearing fruit and increasing as it does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. The gospel bursts into our lives by the power of God's grace and helps us understand the nature of God's grace to rescue sinners. Our walk is going to remain consistent with grace. And our walk is going to remain consistent with us receiving that grace through faith. The Colossians and us received through faith. Colossians 1.4 reveals that the basis of the relationship with God is through faith. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Didn't receive it through works of, in, uh, of, of strength or enlightenment or progress or determination. No, you receive it through complete trust. That God sufficiently saves us through the power and work of His Son, Jesus Christ. That your transfer of the trust in your heart goes off of whatever else it might have been on and goes wholly and entirely on to Jesus Christ. The one who rescues you from your sin. Who gives you righteousness that you would never have been able to possess on your own. 
who is the means by which you are welcomed into the family of God, safe, secure, forever, who has overcome an enemy that you and I could never overcome, sin, and it's bully death, defeats all the opposing forces of evil that are at work that we can't see, that God deals with. Jesus overcomes all of that in his life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension, and his reign, and his rule, and his one day, his return. Your faith and what God has done through Christ is to also mark the manner in which you work and live and walk. We are to walk out our faith, walk in Christ, consistent with grace through faith, and specifically in Christ. We can never overestimate the importance of Jesus. And I won't, like, I don't want to ever lose sight of how significantly amazing and necessary and crucial Jesus is to anything that we are doing as a church. That our walking is Christward, just as we were taught, as verse 6 or 7 says in chapter 2. The object of our faith is Christ, his person and his work. And that object, Christ, his person and work, is proclaimed, declared, taught, sung, prayed, it is shared. It's demonstrating how Christ is the center of all that God was doing. He is supreme. He is sufficient. He is preeminent. He is the climax. He is the apex. He is the main thing. We don't go about walking outside of the main thing, but rather closer and closer and closer to it. And so we go about walking in Christ in the same way. No point do we ever move on from the by grace through faith in Christ rather deeper and more completely into it. And because of that, we find ourselves in that second point. Not only do we walk and flourish in that walk consistent with grace, but we also do it committed to Christ. Look at verse 7. So the main verb of our passage is walk in him. That's the imperative. All the other verbs are sort of ancillary or supportive or overflowing from the main verb. The main verb tells us that we are to have a long haul uh, mentality and direction and, and a purpose when our lives are in Christ. And so what does that start to look like in our lives? Well, we find these three descriptions rooted, built up in him and established in the faith. Committed to Christ means we're going to experience dimensional growth. There's some dimensional growth going on here. First is depth, that our lives will gain more depth, that we're rooted. So to be rooted means there's a, something, that, something has happened to you. You're planted into something, right? To be rooted is a one-time action done to us that has ongoing conditions. So we are now planted in Christ, and as such, our roots will start to grow deep. And what do roots do? What do roots do for a plant? Well, two crucially necessary things for a plant to do what a plant is supposed to do. The root system 
gives it stability, and the root system gives it nutrition. Plants need stability and nutrition. Believers need stability and nutrition. Roots provide that. So our walk is dependent on a healthy root system. And if you want to know if your root system is healthy, you look at the fruit. You look at the fruit. I have a question. What sort of soil are the roots of your heart rooted in? What sort of soil are your roots sort of digging down and widening out in? If you don't know, then what sort of fruit do you see in your life? It's a weighty question. I'm not starting with the fruit. I'm starting with the roots. What sort of roots and soil are happening in your life? Maybe we... Maybe we don't know. And maybe we're just sort of aloof to the reality that maybe, maybe our, our roots and our hearts are in bad soil. Perhaps it's the trappings of just our, just our current cultural pace and shape. Maybe we don't even realize it. Or maybe our hearts are sort of just sort of stuck in the trappings of technology where increasing studies are showing its impact on who we are as human beings, let alone those on a walk in Christ. Increased depression, increased isolation, increased anxiety. Colleges, high schools, workplaces. This is sort of pandemic. Maybe our hearts are sort of Trying to get nutrients out of something that doesn't have anything to give. And only takes. Maybe some of us in here, our hearts are sort of, our roots are getting a little squirrely and out of control. And they're going after the soil of the ways of the world. Take 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world. Listen carefully. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, it's not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. There's a uselessness with having your life shaped by something as fleeting as the world. Or maybe our root systems are Clinging to bad doctrine, which is really kind of at the heart of Paul's letter to the Colossians. Bad doctrine was infiltrating the church, trying to say Jesus isn't the main thing. It's sort of a Jesus plus some other stuff, and then maybe you'll be good. But we'll determine that later at a future date. I mean, that's bad doctrine's game, is to just really keep people in the system that makes them feel guilty. Rather than free in Christ, alive in Christ, strengthened in Christ, No, guilty. So you do what you're told to do. And so maybe our hearts are stuck in that. 
believing wrongly about God or believing wrongly about sin or believing wrongly about Christ or believing wrongly about salvation. Believing wrongly leads to bad fruit. We have to be careful how we ask this question of our hearts because we don't work our way to good fruit. We are to walk consistent with grace. But we need to also then order our lives consistent with grace and committed to Christ, rooted in Him. Depth in Christ. Fixating our lives on Jesus, our hearts, our heads, our our manner of living. Second dimensional growth we find is upward, that we are then built up. The verb there, built up, actually conveys a continuing action that has ongoing impact. Like something is being built up, that this is a work of God. He's committed to continue His work in you. You who are in Christ, God is committed to keep doing His work in you, bringing you along, helping you to grow in Christ's likeness, building you up. It gives you a directional and structural purpose. And that up, its directional and structural purpose is greater Christ likeness. It's greater understanding of who Jesus is. It's his affections that are transformed from clinging to things of the world like acceptance from peers, or the pleasures we can gain, or the possessions we possess, and finding their ultimacy in who we are in Jesus. So a question I have for you on this, equally hard. In what ways are you striving to know Jesus? If God's purpose is to build you up in Jesus, in what ways are you striving to know Jesus? And I can say some very straightforward, basic things that many of you in here already can think about and do and act upon. But I'm going to say it anyway. You can't know him without the word. If, we are, if God's purpose is to build you up in Christ, you can't be built up into Christ without knowing him through the word. And we also know you can't really... Know him in the sense that we see here laid out in this letter, in these letters in the New Testament, without community, without the church. Because the context of this letter isn't just written to individuals. That's something that we do on our own. We hear the word and we think of it individually. We're all guilty of it. It's actually written to the context of the church. Community of God's people together. So we need each other for this walk. This being built up. We need to do this together on purpose in each other's lives so that more and more of Christ is reflected in more and more of our lives. And so what I would say is this. What if 2020 was your year for better vision? (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Took me a month to get to it, but it was, I'm sure all the other preachers got to it before I did. There's a little green book on the back table. It's called the gospel. But really the tagline gives you an idea of what the book is about. How the church portrays the beauty of Christ. How the church portrays the beauty of Christ. Where we are gathering together, committing our lives together to know him. And to love him. And to live for him. And that through our eclectic gathering together, that we, this church, Trinity Baptist Church in Nashua, New Hampshire, 
would portray and reflect the beauty of Christ. So do you hear the worth in that? To be the church? To be this particular church? Do you feel and hear the worth that our lives, as messy and busy and chaotic as they may be, by God's grace, through faith in Christ, can reflect out the beauty of Christ to a world starving for that sort of beauty. Feel the worth of that. In the, in the book, the author Ray Ortland, who is a pastor for four decades, he said this. He says, gospel doctrine, the things that we believe, things that we know, things that we learn, Gospel doctrine creates gospel culture. Gospel doctrine creates gospel culture. The doctrine of grace creates a culture of grace. And when the doctrine is clear and the culture is beautiful, the church will be powerful. That's our walk. To be that kind of place. That the power of God will be on display and the beauty of God will be on display through our lives walking together, knowing him and loving him and, and sacrificially caring for one another so that we are knowing him and loving him. So we, that is how we go about being built up. And so, dimensional growth, rooted Deep, built up, and then thirdly, the width that is established in the faith. It's similar verb action has built up. It's a continuing action that has an ongoing impact. And that ongoing impact in our lives is a growing steadfastness. That, that there is a widening of the fortification around our hearts in this word. A few years ago, there was a number of those app games that became incredibly um, popular, addictive, where you basically just sort of accumulated resources and those re- accumulated resources build up your forts and your walls and your armies and your clashes and your clans and all those sorts of things, right? And you just look on your little screen and you see the wall get bigger and wider as you accumulate more. In a similar way, though, as we together fix our heads, our hearts, and our lives on Christ, following after him. And as we dig deeply into who he is, knowing he is the center of what God has done in history, and as we understand its impact on our lives and the way that we go about living, what happens in our hearts is that they're fortified. They're strengthened. They're fixed. They're established to Endure the long haul of the walk. God strengthens us on the walk for the walk. What a kindness of God. What a picture it is to us of safety and rest. To have a fortified heart and a fortified church around the doctrine of grace and gospel and Jesus picture of safety and rest that comes from knowing God, experiencing God, and living for God through faith in Christ. A faith that is rooted and built up. 
It also means that the church can be a place where weary, wounded wanderers, malnourished and at risk in our Western cultural spiritual wasteland can come and find life. I've used the imagery before because it's so, so helpful for me. We are in a spiritual Mad Max world where there are warring factions of the world competing for your resources, your time, your affections, your allegiance. And yet, here we have Christ, the city of refuge, where you are safe and strengthened. As our walk, what we have, let's be committed to that. And as we are committed to that, let's celebrate what we see along the way. And what we see along the way is God's faithfulness. Part of our flourishing is that we can abound in thanksgiving in the midst of a very long and laborious walk. You want to know if your life is flourishing in Christ? If your heart is abounding in thanksgiving even in the midst of the hard and harsh of this very life. Because your life is being transformed, but with a perspective that sees the long haul, that is Christ, that he is worth it, and wants to live after him, and sees that no matter what we experience along the way, they don't happen outside of God's control, they don't happen outside of God's care, that he is walking alongside of us, that to abound, that is to exceed, or to overflow in thanksgiving for what God is doing in your life, is to have a life that is so fixated on what God has already done in your life in the person and work of Christ. And that the things that you might experience in this life to distract you or dissuade you or discourage you or derail you, let's keep the D's going, whatever those might be that you experience in this life, God's faithfulness to hold on to you in the midst of all of that will well up in your heart a joy and a hope that's not shallow and superficial and circumstantial. It's based on a faithful God who will not let you go. And so you younger ones, you hear those older voices? Did you hear that? They experienced that, are experiencing that. I have no idea what it's like to be a 20-something right now. None. I'm not that far removed, I am. (laughs) But the world would look like a very intimidating place. Filled with cooler looking things. Or filled with harsher looking things. And you and I, we need to celebrate God's faithfulness together. Really, truly, aboundingly, together. All these ages and stages together. Because because it is significant for our hearts. You see, the walk is long haul. It's through all of life. It is slow. It is deliberate. It is intentional. It is up, it is down, it's through it all. And celebrating God's faithfulness through the sudden and the sorrow and the scary of life 
It gives us strength through the aches of loneliness. It gives us strength through the days of sorrow. It gives us strength when we face the unknown in which we see the good times coming to an end and a new season of we don't know what's next of life beginning. It gives us strength through the burst of life and the wonder of an infant in your arms. It gives you strength through the failures and the weakness and the doubt that seem to dog your heart. We need to celebrate God's faithfulness as we go on this long walk. Because Christ is our beginning. Christ is our end. Christ is our middle. Christ is our means. God has given us so much in Christ. You are not lacking anything when you are in Christ. Now there's this important aspect about our flourishing in Christ as we walk with Him. And that's this, that we do this together. As you know, I love basketball. I usually work it in somewhere at some point. I recently caught some of a Celtics-Lakers game that went decidedly the Celtics way. (laughs) The home crowd was raucous. The players, they were soaking it up. It was a big win shared. And this came quite unexpectedly because the Celtics hadn't been playing all that well. And the Lakers were just blitzing everyone they faced. It was one of those much-needed wins where you kind of like forgot what that felt like. And it just happened to be against this historic rival that everyone in this region of the world hates. While the team was celebrating with each other, one big play after another, I noticed the t-shirts that they were wearing on the bench. They were high-fiving, giving each other hugs and chest bumps and all those sorts of things after this particular dunk on this particular LeBron James, after this particular play. The shirt became my focus. Cross the chest. We cannot walk alone. Now most teams, they create sort of a theme for the year, a sort of like rally cry, that team motto for the season. I was fascinated with that one. Usually they're like all in or whatever, you know, that's maybe not the whatever, but... We cannot walk alone. Trinity, we cannot walk alone. We cannot flourish alone. We cannot celebrate alone. We need each other. We need each other to flourish in Christ as we walk consistent with grace. We need each other to flourish as we walk committed to Christ. We need each other to flourish as we celebrate God's faithfulness. Friends, brothers and sisters, family, we cannot walk alone. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would do that work in us. 
suddenly and incrementally, would you do that work? Would you help us to see how you are with us? You will not let us go. You will not forsake us. You will give us strength to take that next step as we go about it day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, decade by decade, until, Lord, you bring us to that beautiful place where we have faith moved to sight. So, God, would you strengthen us for this walk? May we be a church, a church family, where lives flourish in Christ because he is our means, he is our aim, he is the middle, he is the beginning, he's the end, he's all of it. God, may this be a beautiful place that portrays the beauty of Christ to the world around us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.